This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Do one thing in your life that makes a difference. Rob Pope's mom. And I did have the Star Wars soundtrack and I would have my um, tunes playing on shuffle um, unless I was in a real bad spot. If I was in a bad spot and I thought like that David Bowie could help me, you know, sort of he would get selected or ACDC, I had a rule that I could never stop running if ACDC were playing. Even if I was due a walking break, I'd have to run for another three minutes, you know? And then, so one day the Star Wars music came on and I knew it was there. And I was in upstate uh, Washington, but in the East where it was like, you know, sort of all cornfields and they'd recently been harvested. And the, um, the the rolling hills looked like the dunes of Tatooine. And so at one point, sort of, I, I stood out on one of these hills as the sun was going down and put that. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags and hiker trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. 
Well, it has been another incredible season, and I've had a chance to talk to all kinds of people doing all kinds of amazing things out there. To cap off season four, we had to plan something big, right? And we did. Today's guest has an incredible story that I think everyone is going to enjoy. It is my pleasure to welcome to the John Freaking Muir Studio, author, podcaster, and superhuman, Rob Pope. How's it going, Rob? You sure you're talking about the right fella? Like, so I, I've done the author in the podcast today. I'm not sure about the superhuman bit, though. I'm feeling all right, though, mate. Good, good. Well, you know, you you are the, I say podcaster, you're the host of a podcast for Red Bull called How, yeah. How, How to Be Superhuman? <laughs> I, I indeed, yeah, exactly. And so basically, I'm just, it's just an excuse for me to steal secrets from people. And if anybody wants to listen to that, if they've got time after listening to yours, because obviously that's the main priority, they'd be more than welcome to come along. Well, you know, talking to another podcaster, especially one who who is doing a podcast for Red Bull, I'm a bit intimidated already. <laughs> you don't need to be, mate. I am merely a vessel for their production genius. Everyone's just like, oh, my God, mate, it's so polished. Like, how do you do it? And I just go, I just turn up and ask some questions and they do it. So I'm quite lucky. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I wish I had that kind of support. I've been able to wrangle in one intern. And uh, other than that, it's it's a one man show, which is a lot of fun, you know, doing doing everything, you know, producing the episodes, writing the episodes, talking to folks. It's uh, it's it's been a great ride. <laughs> I'm sure it is, man. I'm sure your intern's got far more technical wizardry than I have. So, you know, you, you'll be fine. <laughs> All right. Now, if, if people are listening in, they're saying, hey, Rob, Rob doesn't sound like he's from Wisconsin. Rob, where are you, where are you calling in from today? I'm from uh, Liverpool, England, home of the Beatles. Home of the Beatles, that's right. Judge my musical taste behind me. I think uh, that might be Revolver up there. So <laughs> nice. And um, I'm talking to you from Southern California. It is about uh, eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Um, what time is it over in Liverpool right now? It is four p.m. On a, on, a, on a pretty nice September evening, actually. Although, obviously, we're very sad. You're lucky I'm not in the queue. Yeah, that's right. That's right. My condolences uh, to you and your country on the passing of the Queen. What, what a, 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 a monarch who was there for, was 67 years, 70 years? 70 years, yeah. 70 oh, years. By Louis the Fourteenth, but he started when he was four. So, uh, you know... That was a hell of a flyer out of the blocks he took, wasn't it, sir? Yeah, yeah. Now, I know I saw David Beckham was in line for, for 12 hours, at least 12 yeah. hours yesterday. What an absolute hero. He's put a lot of celebs to shame. A lot of, of other celebs actually just went through this VIP door. And so uh, I, I'm sure they're feeling very silly today. But uh, I was actually just saying, I know we've got better things to talk about and stuff, but um, she probably is like maybe like the most important like person in British history just because the crazy stuff that's happened since like 1952 to the present day. But I'm actually going to drive about 200 miles down to Windsor on Monday uh, with my little girl. Cause I just think it's important that she's, you know, there's things that are important in life and whether you believe in the monarchy or not, you know, this is real history. So, so we're going to take the trip down just to, well, we're going to, we're going to watch the last mile. So um, that'll be pretty deep. I imagine. Yeah. What, what an incredible experience for your daughter. Hmm. Hopefully we won't cry. I'm more likely to than her. <laughs> <laughs> How old is your daughter? She is four. So she's just started uh, the first year of school. So she gets it. 
she she is a bit sad and she keeps asking me has the queen died yet and i was just like yeah she's died a few days ago because it's still on telly all the time she thinks she's just in the final throes so uh you know it might hit her worse when she realizes that's it right right okay hey rob have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before i have mate yeah exactly i'm a, i'm obviously sort of a a fairly uh, dead ringer for Mike Wardian, maybe not quite as quick as him, but, uh, you know, I enjoyed his episode. Nice, because you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about uh, the Gump Run, and Mike Wardian just finished a run across the country as well. He did, and uh, I'm sure he didn't really uh, need my help, but very flatteringly, he did contact me in advance and uh, asked for a, f- a few tips, you know, and so... Um, you know, like I said, the, the main thing I was just saying to him, which, you know, the guy's always got a smile on his face anyway, you know, is just enjoy it. And don't go too quick, you know, because especially for him, with it being, uh, you know, a dream to go from like the West Coast to his home, which is pretty sweet. Um, you know, who knows whether he could have had a pop at Pete's record if he went for it, you know, because they're both sort of excellent athletes. But, um, you know, I just said, it just goes slower. Like 50 miles a day is like an absolute sweet spot. Any more than that, you're just really struggling to actually take time to say hi to people, you know. And uh, some days I would just sit on the side of the highway, eating a sort of a subway or something like that, watching the traffic go by. And it was great. <laughs> so I'm not sure how much of that he did, but I hope he got the opportunity to do it at least a bit. Nice. Yeah. Wardian is, is super human. And I'm realizing as I'm talking to you, you're giving advice to just go 50 miles a day. You definitely fit in the superhuman category. You know, I, I don't drive 50 miles a day, let alone, let alone run for 50 miles. Yeah. The main thing is though, like sort of, um, you know, I think a lot of people are capable of it, you know, sort of, I think sort of everybody, the, the main sort of points of the, uh, at the Red Bull podcast, yeah, you had, you know, we had like Killian Journey on, like, so somebody who just goes, I think we all agree that he is superhuman. But we had a lot of people on who were just like sort of regular Joes who just set out, you know, one day with an idea and like sort of stuck at it. And it's proof that, you know, if we really do sort of, you know, keep our nose to the grindstone, we're capable of surprising ourselves. We really are. Yeah, I think I think the key is persistence. I mean, if you if you grab onto it like a dog with a bone and just stick with it no matter what, I mean, that's going to lead to some superhuman results. Yeah. yeah. I just literally got back from the gym for the first time in about I don't know, a year. Um because like so sort of, I'm a little bit sort of injured at the moment, so I thought I I need to get some like whole body fitness, you know, sort of a hey, maybe like one day I'm not going to really be doing much running, so I may as well be useful at things. And I'm my God, I'm so weak. I'm like, I, I never used to lift much, but like I'm lifting about sort of 60% of what I did when I was 16. And I was just like, this is so embarrassing, you know? And I was just seeing people in the gym who were like absolutely ripped. And then I just thought, well, no, hang on. Like sort of, this is the whole epitome. This is what I'm saying. You know, like sort of, it is a question of just going, well, you can do it. You know, you were doing it when you were 16, so you can certainly do it now. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to try and see if I can get a bit stronger, maybe not get bigger. And then when I'm not injured, I'll be able to, uh, you know, sort of run and be a bit more injury proof. Rob, we had a very similar experience because we had this tremendous heat wave in Southern California that lasted like two weeks. You know, we had temperatures of you know 110, 112 degrees Fahrenheit for multiple days in a row. And even in the morning, it was I would do my running in the morning 
And I couldn't because it was already 80, 80 plus degrees. Um, and I, I just don't, I don't run in that situation. So, you know, two weeks with, with basically no physical exercise, I got out again this morning and I'm thinking the same exact thing. Oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. I'm not going fast. I'm not going far. All of my fitness is gone, but you know what? I can build back up to it. Well, the whole thing is, is just, you know, beat yesterday or beat your last time out, isn't it? You know, it's just that slow sort of, you know, pushing the pushing the rock up the hill you know and obviously if you let go of it for a bit it will roll back down but you know you've got it up there before you'll get it up again oh there's our first sisyphus uh reference in the podcast for, for <laughs> in four seasons that's the first one so congratulations yeah, excellent you know you said you're holding up the big guns for episode 200 mate i'm full of them <laughs> <laughs> all right well hey i'm glad you had a chance to listen to an episode because you are familiar with the, the format of the podcast uh, you know, we've got a segment towards the end called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. That's where I will turn to you, Rob, and I'll ask you to share some wisdom with our with right, our listeners yeah. to make their next outdoor uh, outdoor experience even better. So be on the lookout for that. Hey, now there is a unique uh, American tradition of assigning trail names to folks who are out there on the on the long through hikes. And so I, I've had the chance to talk to a, a number of people with some very interesting trail names. Uh, I talked to a young lady last week who had the trail name of Ballsack. Uh, because she carried two tennis balls in a in a uh, sock to help uh, massage her feet and and legs at the end of a, a long through hike, long day of through hiking. Um, so, have you picked up a, a trail name or a nickname along the way, or are you, are you just strictly Rob? Uh, well, sort of. I reckon I'd be called the Donut King. You know, sort of. A, a lot of ultra runners seem to have like a lot of uh, you know, sort of like wacky sort of names, like sort of. I met sort of a, you know, a few along the way. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I met the peacock in a, in, in bad water. <laughs> and I just thought that's a, that's a great trail name. And I thought, what would I be? And um, my approach to nutrition, certainly, um, well, I, I'm just going to, I'm not even going to blame it on the run. My approach to nutrition in life is very sketchy. And I think donuts are the ultimate ultra food. So, I, I will be the donut king, you know, I'll sit on a massive throne of donuts and, you know, there'll be, there'll be wars for to try and see who can become the new donut king. <laughs> nice. You know, that warms my heart to hear you say that because I always feel guilty. I'm talking to people usually who you know are, are incredible athletes and they, they treat their body like it's a temple. They're eating, you know, very select foods. And it just makes me feel better about myself to hear you talk about the, the glory of donuts. Uh, like this won't make any uh, sort of, you know, you know exactly what kind of volume this is, but like being European, you know, sort of, oh, well, unfortunately British after that stupid vote, uh, but like being European, we're used to a lot of like litres and things like that. And so I was sitting in a, in a, in a gas station. Um, where would this have been? Oh, well, this probably would have been in Idaho, actually. Yeah, it was in Idaho. And I was I was eating sort of my second of two of, of two donuts, and then I was drinking this uh, massive uh, Pepsi. And I'll I'll turn the measurements around. It was one point eight liters, and so I was just like, well, how much is this? And so I looked it up, and yeah, it was a forty four ounce Pepsi I was drinking. So I had the last two sips of it, and then just got up and carried on running. <laughs> that right there, that's fuel. That's good stuff. And as exactly. you're, you're talking about sitting on a sitting on a mountain of donut donuts, a, a throne of donuts, I'm I'm thinking of Game of Thrones, and you know you've got the, you know King's Landing and the 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 uh, the swords, uh, the, the 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 throne of swords, and 
you know, the king in the north and all kinds of I, I, I'm envisioning you in Liverpool sitting on your king on your throne of donuts. Great image. <laughs> in Liverpool, it's usually much more chips and sausage. But hey, like sort of, um, we don't really have Duncan much over here, even though they're, I think, an official club sponsor of my uh, soccer team, Liverpool FC. Uh, so I have to make do with some with some inferior products. But, you know, I'll, I'll make do. You know what? When I retire, maybe I should move over to the UK and start a, a donut shop business. You think it that would, would take it off? It would do well. You know, you'd have one customer at least. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, let's get let's get to our anecdote, actually. You go ahead. You go ahead. Yeah. I was I was in a so just past New Johnsonville in Tennessee. And I went to a like so I was I was just running through this sort of small town and I ran past a place called Tito's Donuts. And uh, the, the chap like who ran it like knew I was coming and he came out and he gave me like an absolute massive box of donuts, like six donuts in it. And he was just like, how long are they last year? And I just said, well, donuts go off quickly. So I'll try and get rid of them by the end of the day. <laughs> nice. All right. Hey, let's get to our first segment. The must bring gear review. Now, if you're wondering, that's my daughter, Half Calf, who is raised in Southern California, but she likes to pretend that she's British sometimes. And uh, you're going to hear her try to be British with, with these, these uh, introductions. They get progressively worse. I'm just going to warn you. <laughs> okay. So this feature we've been doing this season is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works. If you were to let it... your if you were to let a stranger pack your kit with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day run or multi-week run, uh, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Donut King, what is your must-bring piece of gear? Well, sort of quick, quicker question first. Am I running in my normal sort of guise? Because that would mean I've got a stroller, which means I might be able to have something a bit bulkier than usual. Hey, it, it's Don't your run, so you, you tell me. You're, you're pushing a stroller. <laughs> yeah. Tell me what's in that stroller. Uh, well, when I was pushing the stroller, I'd have, because, of course, this is me being completely self-sufficient, you know, sort of apart from what I could get in sort of shops, you know, and so I'd had a, a three-wheel baby jogger stroller with a big hold all in that would contain all my clothes. Uh, on, the, on the back, I would have, like, a small waste pack that I would, like, take off. I'd have my valuables and sort of charges in, you know, if I was ever going into a store and they wouldn't let the stroller come in. Then underneath, I'd have a spare pair of shoes, like, you know, my food and um, my water would be on like the little footrest. Um, but my piece of gear that I found was most useful and I should have used it more was actually a tiger tail massage stick. Uh, because like obviously when you're running like these long, slow distances, you're not really striding out. You're also really tired at the end of the day and you can't be bothered stretching. So just having that massage stick was uh, was really useful. Uh, but also, um, it, it served as a handy uh, weapon when chased by packs of stray dogs. And so <laughs> I never actually got to make contact with any of them, but it was good to uh, to wave around when they started charging you and biting at you. So, you know, any piece of gear that has got like sort of multifunctional ability is a good one in my book, you know. But um, a few things that I just found were, were, were great uh, on the run. So um, I had the REI flash mat. Uh, and I find that was like really, really comfy when I was staying. I'm um, trying to think of gear that isn't like so British based. Uh, I had a Marmot sleeping bag. That was really good. It went down to like minus one and um, and really served me well. 
And I guess something uh, that was actually really, really good was just sort of massive big ponchos because they would go over me and then over the handlebars of the stroller, you know, so they would stop everything from getting soaked. Nice. Now that, that's a, we covered a lot of ground right there. I've got some, I got some follow-up <laughs> questions. I guess we have to unpack some of this. Cool. All right. First, you're pushing a stroller. Anybody ever confuse you uh, thinking that you you had a baby in that stroller and they, they wanted to see the baby? Oh my God. Absolutely. Well, it is two questions for you. Name the, name the two States where I had the hottest temperature and the coldest temperature. You start with the hottest first. Did you, were you going, so you went east, east, west. Uh, did you have east, a, west, was it a, west, east, east, west, west, east, east. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Did you say, <laughs> was it, was it a northern, northern part of, part of the country or southern part of the country? Uh, so Mobile, Alabama to Santa okay. Monica, California, to okay. Port Clyde in Maine, to Bandon Beach in Oregon, but via uh, North Dakota and Montana. So I went through uh, Glacier National Park. Um, which still might be the most beautiful place I've ever been to. Um, and, a, and a place in Southern California, which we might discuss later. Um, then to San Francisco, across again to uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, and then back to Flagstaff, up to Cayenta, and a certain place where a Mr. Gump decided he was tired and went home. Okay. Yes, there's, that's, a, that's a lot of different directions. Um, I'm going to guess yeah, for hottest... Just go off the wall because you're not going to get it right. I'm not going to get it right. Okay. I was going to guess for, for hottest, I was going to say maybe uh, Nevada or Texas. Well, when I ran, ran through Death Valley, it snowed, <laughs> which is a pretty unique experience. So hottest was actually, there was probably a few of them where it topped out sort of over 110, but like sort of one where I knew it was over 110 was in North Dakota. Um, and then the, the coldest was actually in Alabama. And it got down to it got down to minus one Fahrenheit, that is, you know. And um that day I had the decision whether I was gonna run uh, 62 miles, which was as pretty much as far as I would ever go on on the run, or 15 miles. And once I knew sort of because uh, that was basically just where I had places to stay that night, because it was gonna be so cold, there was no camping. And I decided I was going to do 15. So I had the glory of um, getting out of my hotel room around sort of half 10 in the morning rather than around seven or eight. And it was still probably about, I don't know, maybe about five, six degrees Fahrenheit. And I was pushing my stroller up when I heard the telltale. There's only ever one blare on the siren, isn't it? Woo! And I was just like, okay. I turned around and I just, I thought, I always headed these things off. And I went, hello, officer. And he went, hello, son. And I was just like, did you get a call about a lady pushing a baby down the highway? And he went, sure did. And he went, why is it always the lady? He goes, son, you ain't going to get no man pushing a stroller down the highway in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, that happened a, a few times. Like, so, but all my brushes with the law, apart from one, were like just incredible. Um, you know, like ranging from like a trooper in Oregon who pulled me over so we could get a photo for the, for the Oregon State Police Facebook. Um, through to uh, the guy who I did have a bad experience with, me seeing him later in the day, and me asking him, could I set foot on a bit of a road that I wasn't allowed to set foot on? I knew that because he'd already told me to get off. And um, and I had to crawl through like poison and ivy and climb a 50-foot rock face to actually get back to a road, chest high wade through water. 
Uh, this is on a 101 in California, and we all know that California troopers can be hard asses, you know, and so this one was. But he redeemed himself by the next day when, son, if I don't see it, it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I love about those stories is you, you delivered the first one with an Alabama accent and you delivered the second one with with a uh, Southern California accent. That was spot on. I, I, I was worried about the California one, man. <laughs> That's very <laughs> sketchy and I apologize. I might quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And so that is hilarious that the the trooper said you're not going to find a man out here pushing a stroller, uh, pushing a baby in, in this kind of in this kind of weather. That, that was crazy. I had one uh, one trooper in Georgia said I had very nice legs. He said I had strong muscles. And so I just thought <laughs> that's not the, not the remark I expected to come out of a Georgian state trooper. But hey, you know, like cheers, man. <laughs> right. Now, you mentioned pack of dogs and swinging that uh, tiger tail stick, never making contact. But is it, was that a common occurrence? How many times did you get chased by, by packs of stray dogs? Well, sort of, it happened. The, the dog that I was chased most by happened to be a chihuahua. You know, sort of, uh, there seemed to be lots of rabid chihuahuas on the way. But like, sort of, uh, I saw so like, uh, in fact, once I ran past, I think this was in Tennessee, um, there was a sign on on the gate saying, you know, sort of, if you come in here, watch out for Jesus. Um, and I wasn't sure whether Jesus was the chihuahua that was trying to wriggle through a hole in the fence or the big bull terrier that was standing on its kennel that was higher than the fence. And I just thought, I don't fancy either of them being Jesus, so I carried on my way. But um, you would see, unfortunately, a lot of stray dogs, including some with collars, you know, just dead at the side of the road. And like, as a, like I'm a veterinarian by like trade, and so that was tough for me. But I met some people in Oklahoma who said, like, watch out for Tennessee because um, there are lots of packs of stray dogs around. And um, I was really worried about that, especially because I've been supported by my girlfriend in an RV up until Tennessee. And at that point, I went solo and I was walking straight running with the torn quad at this point and um, so I couldn't be bothered with stray dogs and I got to my very last full day in Tennessee before I was chased by one and like these guys three of them were intense and uh, as they were coming after me I would turn around I'd be like go on get you know like, and so uh, they would do it for a bit and then I suddenly just heard like the claws behind me that showed a change up in gear and this one flew at me, you know, so I basically just wheeled my stroll around. He like bounced off the side of it and then got the tiger tail out. And I was like, you know, don't come here. And he thought better of it. But I still went, walked with the stroller behind me for the next mile or so. But um, I did actually rescue a stray dog as well. Uh, we were in Arkansas and uh, my eyes aren't great. And I thought it was a coyote originally. But then, of course, they just scarper as soon as you see him. Um, then I thought it was a deer. And as I got close to it, it was a stray dog. And so I ended up running five miles with it. And through like the good grace of the people in the town, we got into a, like a, basically a vet, then to an animal shelter. And um, that dog now lives happily in uh, Massachusetts. And she's called Hope in honor of New Hope, where we found her. Oh, that's a great story. That's fantastic. <laughs> now, I wonder if anybody called the police station to let them know that a, a woman was using a stroller to fend off a, a pack of, of, of stray dogs, <laughs> endangering the baby in the stroller. <laughs> yeah. Or, or getting done for animal cruelty. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Hey, let's move on to our next uh, segment. It's the hiking pole. Now this is a hiking pole and it's spelled P O L L. 
not like uh, the, the item you carry on a hike uh, in your hand, P-O-L-E. This is a seven question survey. It's going to help me determine your level of sanity. And despite it being called the hiking pole, this has nothing to do with anything related to hiking. These are some of the, some of the big questions that we wrestle with over here in the States. I wanted to get a, uh, your perspective um, over in the UK on, on these issues to see if, if you also have, have these big, big uh, questions that you deal with over there. You ready for this? As I'll ever be. Okay. And you, you, you don't know what questions I'm going to ask. You haven't seen these questions. <laughs> I haven't got a clue. Okay. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just hoping that like this is they're not too incriminating. Okay. Nervous? <laughs> Extremely. Okay. Now I have to tell you that at the end of this, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a score based on you know zero to a hundred, a scale of zero to a hundred with one hundred being completely sane, which we know you're not gonna you're not gonna get there, and zero being completely insane. <laughs> how how would your friends and family rate you? What 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 score would they give you? If I asked them how, would, how, how sane is Rob? Low thirties, low thirties, I would say. Low thirties, like a, like a, a, a cool, a cool morning in, in Georgia. Exactly. And that's probably just in my face. God knows what <laughs> they'd say behind my back. Anybody who's gone east, west, west, east, east, west, west, east, east, west, uh, across the U S on a single run. I mean, there's, that's an automatic 40 point deduction. So, I mean, your, your highest possible <laughs> score today, Rob is, is 60. Superb. Okay, here we go. Question number one. One of the big questions. Does pineapple belong on pizza? No. You had to think about that one. There was some, there was some yeah, talk given into that. One of the main things is I'm a little bit of a pizza noob because I'm allergic to cheese. So I do oh. have cheese, cheese um, like sort of uh, free pizzas. But I just couldn't imagine. So I'm trying to think what pine. I've never had it on a pizza, so that means my automatic response is no. I think pineapple should stay in Chinese food. Okay, all right. Question number two: Do you roll your toilet paper over or under? Um, over in my own house, under in pe other people's house, just to freak them out. <laughs> so if you're sitting on the throne, not the donut throne, but if you're sitting on the throne in a friend's house and they've got it going over, you, you, you switch it for them. Yeah. <laughs> Throw them off that, that that's ingenious. I'm going to have to try that. All right. <laughs> question three. I know you said you're a vet. Uh, do you prefer cats or dogs in terms of ownership? Oh, cats. Cause I'm lazy. <laughs> They are a bit self-sufficient, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Like, so if I'm, I'm, I'm out and about too much, you know, sort of, uh, and, you know, if I've got a cat flap and I've got a big sort of bucket of water there, like, sort of, I consider it evolution if my cat's there when I come back home. Okay. Question number four. Do you use the Oxford comma? No, unless it's a vampire weekend song. Explain, please. Uh, they've got a song called Oxford Comma. Now, I'm not a big one for the lyrics, so I might have been horrendously embarrassing myself in front of Vampire Weekend fans here, but it is a good song. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think my ands should uh, remain unadulterated. I recently, I, I'm pretty old school, and obviously, having recently written a book, uh, I you know sent the manuscript off, and it was not like ghostwritten, it was all me, and it was very big. As you can tell, I like to go on a bit. So people had to condense it. 
And when it came back, I was horrified to see that people were starting sentences with but and 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 because. And I'm just like, absolutely not. And I said, you can't do that. And it's just like, that's now accepted uh, written speech. And so I don't know. Maybe I'm a bit antiquated, but Oxford comma, not for me. You know, sentences I never thought I'd hear when I got out of bed in the morning. <laughs> An example would be, I think my ands should remain unadulterated. That that just I didn't I never I never foresaw that that sequence of words. <laughs> I think it's the first time I've ever said it. So you know, every day's a school day, isn't it? That is spectacular. All right, uh, question number. What are we on? Five. Yes, question five. Yeah. Netflix or YouTube? Netflix, because um, oh God, I don't know, because my missus got subscriptions to both. Oh, this is a real tough one. YouTube, because if my missus didn't pay for either of them, I'm too tight to pay for either of them. So I would take I would take ad ridden YouTube. Comes down to the, the financial side. Exactly, man. You know, so the money money I spend it on YouTube could be getting spent on beer or donuts. So you're my new hero. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you you are the podcast host of How to Be Superhuman. What is the better superpower, invisibility or flying? Invisibility. Basically, what would you What would you do if you were invisible? If you had that superpower? Uh, there's a number of embarrassing situations I would have uh, gotten myself out of. You know. Certainly. Um, oh, actually, so I was going to say when I was getting chased by like a really scary dude in a, in upstate New York, it would have been great to have been in, invisible. But then I suppose it would have been quite handy to have flown as well. But uh, yeah, invisible is good. I get myself into too much trouble. If we all just had that ring that, that Frodo had, you just slip that ring on and, and slip away. As long as it didn't make you get a lower score on this insanity scale. <laughs> All right. Question number seven. If there was a time machine, if we had a time machine, but it could only go 100 years in the past or 100 years in the future, which direction would you go? I'd want some value and I would go in the past. I'd probably be able to set some pretty amazing FKTs. <laughs> That's right. You'd be ahead of the curve. <laughs> All right. Hey, let me do some quick math here. Got to Got to carry the five and divide by three and multiply by the by pi. And we're going to adjust for the, the temperature on a, a, uh, a snowy day in Death Valley. And I come out with a score of 48, a bit higher than I expected. Oh, fair dues. Yeah. Like I said, well, I'm, I'm pretty chuffed because uh, 12 is my lucky number. So like sort of, uh, four complete crossings times 12. I did get lucky. So happy days. Lucky number 12. You have to tell me why Why that is your lucky number. I think there's just been lots of sort of, uh, because it, it's been so forged for a long time. Uh, there have been lots of sort of serendipitous things, I think, that happened. You know, sort of maybe it was my first ever like sort of a raffle ticket win or something. I wish I had a cool story for this one. I need to dig into it myself. <laughs> okay. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. Before we go to break, uh, give us a quick thumbnail sketch of your background, where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies uh, you played as a kid, and how did you get involved in the running cult? So uh, I 
just like uh, Forrest uh, was was raised by a single mom, uh, you know, sort of in, in Liverpool. And um, so we were never rich, but like sort of my mom, like would always like work to sort of put food on the table and sort of uh, got got me to a school where they had a cross country team. And as it happened, the next school I went to is very unusual in Liverpool for, for schools not to play soccer as the main sport. And my school was either cross country or rugby. And like, you know, I'm five foot seven, like weigh 145 pounds. Rugby is not my sort of vibe. Um, so did cross country, was pretty good. It was like sort of, you know, county representative, but never of the level that I, I didn't want to put the work into, um, you know, to get to, you know, sort of like national level or anything like that. I just enjoyed my running. Um, went to uni. Um, Played soccer because it was much more social, and uh, there were many more girls who were interested in the, in the football boys than the than the running team. Um, it was actually only when I moved to Australia I'd run a few marathons previously, and I was like reasonable, you know, sort of in terms of uh, what what these crazy numbers mean. And I joined an athletics club just so I could uh, get more friends because I didn't want to be a 35-year-old English person who thought they were great at football, attracting all the vicious tackles, you know. So uh, joined this club, got a lot better and managed to actually get a state representation for Victoria because I was there for three years. Um, ran in the Australian Marathon Championships um, in the Sydney Marathon and came 10th. Uh, now, apparently, that was an IWF gold race, and not only did coming in 10th and being beaten by only Kenyan and Japanese mean I was now an English-Australian marathon champion. Uh, so I got a phone call later that day uh, telling me that I'd qualified for the Olympics um, because that's that's the IWF rules. And um, if the basically the guys who were looking to go for times in Chicago and Berlin didn't get the qualifying time, would I consider switching nationality? And uh, the very short answer was yes, uh, coupled by me singing Waltz to Matilda. And um, it was not long after that that I moved back to the UK and I thought, hey, maybe I got this wrong when I was 14. Maybe I should have trained hard. Tried to train a lot harder, but my job that I moved back for, just it just wasn't possible. And so I packed that job in and uh, just dusted the stroller off and thought, I wonder how much a flight to Houston is. <laughs> wow. What a story. Now I, I'm struck. Uh, it, it always, it, so it comes down to finances earlier. And now we're talking about um, difference between cross country and soccer and the lack of cross country groupies out there. Right. And so yeah, I know like the world's gone wrong, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I I might have had one groupie when I was in a Morristown in Tennessee. Uh, I'd arranged, well, I'd booked a hotel earlier that day, but somebody pulled alongside me uh, and they said, oh, we've been following you. Would you like to stay at our place tonight? And I said, well, if I can cancel this hotel room, then yeah, great. And um, I was waiting for this guy to come and pick me up later when two really gorgeous girls pulled up in a Ford Mustang and they were just like, hey, what are you doing, sweetie? You know, I'm just like, oh, I'm just like, running across America and they're like oh my god you know so do you need anything like you got somewhere to stay and I was just thinking oh my god if I was single and I like hadn't already accepted you know but uh, she gave me a card and wrote a phone number I said if you need anything just call me and I was just like oh wow this is almost like a Bruce Springsteen song and I'm going to walk away from it but you know Bruce would walk away back to his own girl so that's what I did. 
<laughs> oh, the accents are are classic. These are these are just this is good stuff. All right. Hey, we're gonna take a quick break. When we get when we come back, we're gonna talk a little bit about your podcast. And I want to hear a lot more about your run across America. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Rob Pope, aka the Donut King, and uh, we've, we've heard a little bit about his uh, how he got involved in in the the running cult. And I want to talk a little bit now about your Red Bull podcast and how to be superhuman. And I, oh, I have to imagine you've to talked to some pretty amazing <laughs> people. Do you have any any uh, maybe favorite guests or some highlights you want to share? Yeah, well, the thing is, I'll, I'll obviously mention some of the great runners that we've had on, like, so we've had, like, Camille Heron on, Jasmine Paris, Killian Journey, you know, so, uh, but some of the people um, who I was most fascinated were just, like, so people who were very, like, normal Joes who sort of uh, basically recreated the the whole meaning of the word superhuman to be above human. And because everyone just sort of says, well, oh, well, you're just a normal guy, but we can all ascend above that level if, if, we, if we go to it. And in fact, we had a number of guests uh, who overcome like huge uh, disabilities. Um, like Ed, Ed Jackson, who uh, paralyzed himself in a diving accident, 
uh, and it's like since like climbed sort of you know Kilimanjaro. Um, and one of my personal favorites was a guy called Gabe Cordell, um, who we mentioned Netflix before. So sort of he he was on the Netflix uh, film called Roll with It. And uh, what he did basically, he was a um, he was an actor. And he had a bit of a uh, substance habit. And on the way to an interview, he had a um, like a car crash that paralyzed him sort of um, above the waist. And he became the first person to actually roll, not a race wheelchair, but a standard wheelchair across the States. And there were a number of roads where he, um, he, he went on the same path as me. And I reached the 3,000 mile mark on mine. It was on my second uh, leg. Uh, heading up towards Globe, Arizona. And halfway up that hill was a 3,000 mile mark. And I thought, let's stop here for the night. I was a bit tired. And like Gabe was rolling this wheelchair up that, you know, sort of massive blisters. And he was not an athlete, you know. And so he was incredible. Um, and sort of to see like sort of, um, you know, like we've had like some excellent climbers like Sasha DeJulian, but also like Karen Dark, who was a British Paralympian. Uh, and she managed to climb uh, El Capitan just using her her arms. So basically, sort of on like on a, on a hoist up there, you know. And so, someone who's just coming back from the gym, and I was struggling to activate my power steering. I'm just thinking, you know, the strength of will of these people. Um, had my favorite triathlete Tim Don, who uh, this is a brilliant story, right? You know, some runners like the, you will always surprise yourself at one point in your running career. And Tim was, uh, he was in, I think it might have been the Brazil Ironman. And he had a great swim leg and he had like a really good sort of a bike as well. And he was in the marathon. His coach says to him, Tim, if you manage to do a 245 marathon, you're going to break the record. And he's like, okay, great. And he's just like, what, what, what record? And he's like, the world record. And it's just like, oh my God. And he goes through and he breaks the world record. And he's, pod is extremely interesting because not long after that he had an accident where he broke his neck in a training ride sort of um from kona and had to have a, a halo screwed into his skull to stabilize his neck and to allow it to heal and he's gone on to complete iron men after that and so like wow. i know like these days on the news we we often get a lot of the negative stories and like you know it's easy to walk away sometimes and think you know people are really crap but, you know, there's such a minority. But the best thing is, is like people are amazing. We're amazing. You know, there's there's people out there now who are going to do something next year that we'll not even believe possible. And I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, people are amazing. The people that I've talked to have just been, you know, sensational. And you know, we, we talk about outdoor adventure, but really it's the the stories behind the people. It's, a, it's more of a human interest podcast because I, I just love hearing about people's background, how they got involved. Uh, and some of the stories that, of, of the things they're doing out there. And I've got a great candidate for your podcast. Maybe you can you can sell this to, to Red Bull. Uh, he just set the FKT on the John Muir Trail. He did 220 miles in the Sierras in 72 hours and 47 minutes. Jeff Garmeyer. That have you heard of Jeff Garmeyer? Incredible. 73 miles a day. I know the name. I don't know him personally. But yeah, that's that's unbelievable. Yeah, he he's yeah. a triple crown. He did the calendar year triple crown. So he uh, did the Brilliant. Appalachian Trail, the the Continental Divide Trail, and the PCT uh, in one calendar year. Uh, he's got some other incredible accomplishments uh, uh, to his credit as well. He's participated in the Barkley Marathons, 
Have you heard of the Barclays? I have indeed, mate. I have indeed. Yeah. Have you participated? <laughs> have you participated in the Barclays? I, I, I have not, my man. Yeah, like sort of, it's a, it's a, it's a bit mental, isn't it? Never it, say never. <laughs> it is very mental. Yes, it is. That is uh, one of the quirkiest, strangest, uh, most incredible uh, events you're going to find out there. I am um, sort of, I, I think, well, this, this is definitely a contrived record. I've not done the Triple Crown, but I kind of have done the Triple Triple Crown. So this is basically, um, well, certainly it was actually not long ago. So, you know, um, I, I started the run six years and two days ago. Uh, and so the 2017 was a huge year for me. Like, I believe that I managed to run the second most miles of anyone ever that year. Uh, certainly the most in, uh, in 2017, that's for sure. But in doing so, I became the first person to go three, three times across the States in a calendar year. So that means I would have crossed all of those three trails three times each. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not like in a game of poker. I'm not pushing that as a as a superior hand, you know, sort of a, I would love to do the, the calendar sort of a, like triple crown. But hey, as with all these huge distance undertakings, even if you think you can do it, you're at the mercy of so many factors yourself right. outside factors like the weather you know finances one stray boulder just causing you to roll your ankle and that's it you know so anyone who's managed to complete that in a year and i know that it wouldn't have been plain sailing for him either like i bet he's had to overcome some huge challenges you know then so hats off to him yeah excuse me one of my favorite stories with jeff is that um, on one of his hikes, he he saw a pair of moose antlers laying in the in the brush alongside the trail, and he was close to a town. He thought, "Oh, this is great! I'm gonna I'm gonna take these and and I'll, I'll mail them back to myself, and we'll get those on the wall or something." And he reached down to pick up the moose antlers and discovered they were still attached to a a fully grown bull moose, who then proceeded to chase him around. Uh... What? <laughs> No way, man. I, yeah. I had a, a, a fairly similar thing, but not, not, not like so I didn't actually get hold of him. Um, I was going down this trail. Well, actually, let's talk about trails, the Coeur d'Alene in Idaho. It's just like, oh my God. Like, I've just, I don't know if you can see that. I've just said Coeur d'Alene, and like the actual hairs on my arms have stood up because it's so, so beautiful. And most of my run was on the road. So whenever I was getting like, you know, something like a glorious bit of trail like that, you know, sort of all like the Katie trail in Missouri, it was just so perfect. And I likened it to being like in Scotland on steroids, you know, so that's Scotland rather than me on steroids, by the way. And, um, <laughs> and so um, I was walking down, I've already said about my dodgy eyes. So I thought I saw this horse in front of me on the trail and it was like limping. And I thought, oh, that's not limping. That's just walking funny. Oh God, it's a moose. So I would stay about 200 yards behind this moose and every now and again, it would look uh, over at me. Now I couldn't see if it was, if it had antlers or not, because my acuity is not that good. Now suddenly a cyclist comes in the opposite direction, like, so, and then spooks the moose, who then comes hurtling towards me. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And so I'd read, like, I'd left my bear spray in the, uh, in the RV at that point, because Nadine had come back out to support me. And um, so I was just like, what do we do? Next thing is to hide behind a tree, you know, so they can't, you know, they can't hit you. 
And so I couldn't get behind a tree because it was a bramble bush there. So I just basically stood in front of the tree and wrapped myself around it, thinking he's not surely going to hit the tree. And I closed my eyes as he got about like, you know, 15 yards away and just heard like crashing of branches as his antlers basically was, you know, like were catching the bushes next to me. And he just went down to the sides to the river. And so I never felt so alive after that. And I, I, I was listening to the proclaimers as I was going along. And it was just like the perfect day. Like, never mind, like, sort of, you know, HD. This is 4K Ultra HD life. You know, I'd like to sort of seen, but well, if I had my eyes open, I'd have seen my life flash before me. But, you know, yeah, those, those things are scary, man. What a great image. You on the front side of a tree, you know, wrapping your yeah. arms around backwards and closing your eyes and just hoping for the best. Yeah, oh, it would have just made an absolute mess out of me. But so, since we're talking about the run, like, sort of a, can I like sort of exit stage left very briefly for like about sort of a uh, five, 10 seconds? Absolutely. Yes. It'll be worth it. Okay. I'm waiting. For those of you listening, he has now exited the room. I anticipate he's grabbing something. He's going to, he's going to bring it back to show me. Here he comes. Yeah. First roller show business. Give the people what they want. Night. Oh, yes. Now he's in character. He's in character. <laughs> Very good. Lean, lean closer in. What's the sound on the hat? Is that the Bubba Gump? Yeah. Bubba no, Gump. Shrimp Company. So uh, yeah, this that's is right. actually the OG cap. This is the one that I was running in, uh, sort of in the States a lot of the time. Not all the time, but you see, it's like quite like a faded rose. And oh, I yeah. thought that was there. Uh, so there's the grease stain where I would be like regularly just sort of taking my hat off. Uh -huh. um, and I thought this was like just sweat and like, you know, sort of a repeated washing. But it's actually just the effect of the sun because if you look inside. Yes. Look how that, red that is compared to that. <laughs> yes. For the, those of you listening on the podcast and not watching on YouTube, the outside of the hat, the, oh, the yeah. top of the hat is is really faded. But underneath, it's uh, it's very bright red. So a lot of time out there on the sun going back and forth across the country. And let's, let's get to that. Let's talk about, let's talk about the run. What is the inspiration? What, what made you say, you know what? I think it'd be a good idea to emulate Forrest Gump and run across the United States of America uh, several times. Well, I sort of always wanted to like do sort of a big run and like the UK's iconic one is Land's End, John O'Groats or the other way around. Uh, and I became interested in running across America probably about sort of 16 years ago. And I read a book called Running Across America, which kind of you know, does what it says on the tin, uh, by an English guy called Nick Baldock. And the way he, as an outsider, described going across um, you know, the country was unbelievable because for Lanza and John O'Groats, I know all of these places. And I think maybe the way like a, a European or an Australian sort of would would see the states, you know, so I'd be like running through like sort of, you know, a really small like sort of, you know, Midwest town. I go, oh, my God, this is perfect. Um, whereas like, you know, it might not resonate as much with someone who's like grew up in a town like that. And so I talk a good game, you know, and so I thought, right, I'm going to do this. And I planned the route and I was originally going to go from Long Beach, California to Long Beach, New York and call it the long run home, but life got in the way. And basically it took, you know, sort of 10 more years um, before I actually got around to doing it. Now, 
when I emailed this chap, Nick Baldock, uh, in like 2009 or something like that, the title of the email was called Forrest Gump 2. Because, you know, if anyone thinks about like sort of long distance running, like so they, you know, they think about forests. And actually, when I was up in like sort of uh, like North Dakota, Montana, uh, I asked about sort of 200 people. Um, can you name me a long distance runner? You know, an American long distance runner. And in the poll, sort of Steve Prefontaine came second. Um, uh, who came? Th- O.J. Simpson came third, which I thought was brilliant. You know, <laughs> I, everybody thought that was quite funny. Uh, but by like far, Forrest Gump, you know, sort of w- was like was up there. And then so everybody knows, you know, some of the landmarks. He hit Santa Monica Pier, the lighthouse in Maine, uh, you know, Glacier National Park. And somebody had researched his route and, um, you know, picking all these landmarks out and mostly taking it from a map that you see behind the newsreader when he's running across the Mississippi for the fourth time. So they reckoned it was 15,248 miles. And so Mark, I had this magical figure in my head, but to be honest, I knew that my chances of doing that were probably pretty small because of all these variables that you can't control. But I knew I was a reasonable runner, so I at least had that sort of, you know, in my uh, in my locker, which is which was nice. Um, but my only real ambition was to actually just get across the country once. And so I thought, right, I'll start. Well, I can't start in Greenbow, Alabama, because it doesn't exist. They made it up for the film. Um, so in the book, he's from Mobile. So I went from Mobile to Bayou La Battery, where Bubba was from got my uh, little bit of water from the Atlantic and then headed to, um, you know, sort of uh, California and Santa Monica Pier. And, you know, I had the uh, the joy of running through the magical Joshua Tree National Park um, where I listened to Joshua Tree by U2 on loop uh, the whole way through. So it's eight and a half times and that will get you from, um, from south to north, you know, coming out at 29 Palms Way. Um, and I just love that. We were actually there for Thanksgiving, so we had to camp in an RV. Actually, we didn't even get an RV park place. We stayed in a Walmart car park that night in the <laughs> RV. And um, we had to go into the store to get some food and uh, just watch the fights over giant teddy bears and plasma screen TVs, you know. And I asked somebody what it what, what it was, and he said, it's Black Friday. I'm just like, well, no, it's Thanksgiving Thursday, isn't it? And they were like, oh, no, like Black Friday starts early <laughs> And um, so once I got to um, Santa Monica and even then I got a huge injury and I got anterior tibial tendonitis in Houston, 400 miles in, ironically, where I'd landed to go to Mobile to start. So the psychological thing of going, I am not even a fifth of the way across the country here. I've got this injury, which by all rights should take me six to eight weeks to, to get rid of. And I just ended up um, talking to a lady in a gas station about it. She was like behind the like the, the cash desk, and um, I gave her my like handwritten social media card. It was the last one I had, and I just my brain because your brains are evil things sometimes. Just said to me, "That's the last one you ever give out." And uh, so I just literally broke down in tears, and she came round and gave me a massive hug. And um, and I was just like, sort of, I'm so sorry. I'm really, really sweaty. You don't want to hug me. And she went, son, we're all sweaty down here. And I was just like, oh, that's so good. And um, I, I, might, I saw a, a physio uh, who sorted me out a treat. Um, and I am not making this up, I promise you. But uh, I was in Houston and my physio was called Whitney. 
Oh, nice, nice. I only realised it after I had left. Otherwise, I would have made a, a a big point about it. But yeah, I, I managed to get to Santa Monica. And after that, I was bomb-proof because all I ever said was I was going to recreate Forrest Gump Trump. Now, that meant running until I was tired and I could go home or, you know, I was broken or I was like just, you know, you know, literally flat broke. So I just kept on going and kept going along this route, you know, like on my little sort of, uh, you know, donut trail across the country. And the, the aim was to, you know, obviously get to that point but, and say those words, but I would never say the whole sentence in one go because I knew it was almost a bit like saying Beetlejuice three times, you know, that would be the end of it. And then, but like, so when I actually got to Kayenta and uh, Highway 163 and I took that last left turn, and it's probably about 38 miles to, to the point then, I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is actually happening, you know. And so um, I said, like, some of it I was supported um, by my girlfriend, probably for about half of it, and my uh, good friend Olivia. Uh, then half of it I was self-supported with a Pram Solo, my stroller, uh, named because I was looking like Chewbacca. The beard's a, a shadow of its former self now because, of course, I am. Uh, I did get the full marine buzz cut in a barbershop in Mobile and uh, and the cutthroat shave on day one. And then apart from uh, trimming the moustache to facilitate burger entry into my mouth, um, nothing else was touched until the end of the run. But uh, yeah, Nadine managed to come out for the last 200 miles uh, with our new baby as well. So uh <laughs> That is fantastic. I mean, I want to, I want to congratulate you on your commitment to authenticity. I mean, you started, <laughs> you started, I mean, you, you followed the route, you went to all the, the, the places that were depicted in the movie. You started on the date. I believe he started on in the, in the movie, yeah. correct? September, September 15th. Exactly. Like, so I, I, I did a lot of research into it and then there was actually another British guy who was trying to do the run. Um, at the same time and he didn't know about me but I knew about him and I didn't want him to find out about me some other way so I emailed him and said uh, hey man I'm doing this uh, do you want to do it together you know because like otherwise it's going to be you know sort of you know, I, I didn't back myself in a race situation you know this guy had uh, done like a huge 10k streak you know like over like two years and I just thought oh I don't want it to be stressed and um, he said, no, no, I'm definitely going to do it. Then when are you start? And I said, September the 15th. And he said, oh, why are you starting then? I said, well, that's the day that Forrest started. And he goes, no, no, he started on October the 1st, which is when I'm starting. And I said, oh, mate, uh, you've made the sort of mistake here because you're going from the copy of Time magazine that he featured on, which was dated October the 1st. But that was actually a couple of weeks after he was started because he started on the same day that President Carter collapsed in a 10K race in Maryland, which was the uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the 10th of, so the 15th of September, 1979. So did you make a friend through that conversation or did you make an enemy? I made, uh, I wouldn't say an enemy, but let, let's just say sort of, a, I got a, an email from his publicist saying that maybe you should not visit the towns he's visiting, but then all the towns were already on my route. And so I just said, um, why don't we both just try our best? And, you know, like there's every chance that even though I'm starting this guy, your, your guy's probably going to come past me uh, or I might not finish. And so I think it's best we just both do what we can and uh 
and and crack on. Okay. Now, so for some of our listeners out there who may have missed this, there was a Star Wars reference. You mentioned Pram Solo and yourself as Chewbacca. Yeah. That's good. That's clever. Because my my beard was like sort of uh, was getting very, very long at this point. And I had a huge um, music collection with me. And I did have the Star Wars soundtrack. And I would have my um, tunes playing on shuffle um, unless I was in a real bad spot if i was in a bad spot and i thought like that david bowie could help me you know sort of he would get selected or acdc i had a rule that i could never stop running if acdc were playing even if i was due a walking break i'd have to run for another three minutes you know and then um, so one day the star wars music came on and i knew it was there and i was in upstate uh washington but in the east where it was like you know sort of all cornfields and they'd recently been harvested and the um the, the rolling hills look like the dunes of Tatooine. And so at one point, sort of, I, I stood out on one of these hills as the sun was going down and put that. <laughs> oh, nicely done. You're a man Thanks, of many man. talents, Donut King. <laughs> I don't think John Williams is coming calling for me anytime soon, though, to add a little bit of depth to the brass. But um, it, was, it was just great soundtracking you know, my life was was so incredible because, of course, you know, we talked about these lovely landscapes, but sometimes it was like, you know, gritty urban environments. Like I, I listened to uh, Bruce Springsteen and nothing but Bruce Springsteen running through New Jersey, you know, because uh, why would you not? <laughs> That's right. Now, you mentioned uh, the psychological game um, that we play out there and the rules that you make, you know, can't stop during an ACDC uh, song. What what is more difficult? Um, what was what was more difficult in your your running across the USA multiple times? Was it the physical task or was it was it the the psychological aspect of of doing it? The mental toughness that you had to commit to. Yeah, like the the, the mental side was tough, but like sort of I do have a naturally short attention span, so like I and and also a lot of things I had to you know not play to to keep spinning at that point. So. Um, the main thing was, you know, I had to make sure where I was going to stay that night. Like I was continually, I would never look at my bank balance because like the whole thing uh, up until like almost the very end was like self-funded, like uh, like sort of girlfriend and now wife. Uh, we'd like saved up about like in, in US dollars, probably about, probably about $40,000. But the way the pound's gone, it's probably about $6 now. Um, and so um, we were convinced when we would get to Santa Monica that I'm turning around that someone would just go, I'm sponsoring this. And we'd have a gold-plated uh, like RV that was like sort of, you know, fueled with like sort of, you know, you know nitrous oxide and we'd like zip across the country. Uh, but never happened, never happened in, at the East Coast, never happened in San Francisco. And so... There was once when I was in, um, it was Wisconsin, and I put my cash machine in, into a, you know, a, a pin machine at the, at the hotel, and they just said, oh, it's not working. And I went, oh, that's very strange. There's definitely money in it. I'll try this other card, not working. And then I checked my balance. And I had like 36 bucks, and I was just like, oh, no. And um, so I ended up going to a bar, uh, <laughs> 36 bucks, it'll get you somewhere. And uh, I didn't buy any beers that night. I got put up on someone's couch. You know, I got sent off with an extra sort of 40 bucks in my pocket. And then the next day, like sort of, um, I managed to get some money sent from a friend over and kept the show on the road. So the, the money was a mega stress, but then the body, because um, I was neither running fast nor slow. Um, 
but I was always making steady progress. And it was a little bit like sort of, um, I don't know if like IndyCar's the same, but in Formula One, like the drivers are very rarely racing flat out because if they do, they'll just rip up their tires, they'll burn through their fuel. And so I was having to just sort of monitor everything. I felt like I was this massive CPU. So I'd have a pain on the outside of my knee and I'd be like, is that real? You know, okay, right, it is real. Let's see where it gets to. But then I was always monitoring an old injury. So that was tough. Um, like physical-wise, eventually you, you adapt. And I'm sure like sort of Jeff's the same. Like sort of, I bet you the first few hills he took on whichever trail he started on would burn his quads up. And like at the end of the day, he would probably three days in, he'd be like, there's no way I'm doing this. But like, so after about like three to four weeks, and I know they say that habit forming is about three to four weeks, but maybe there's something physiological there as well, because it was the same with the run. It took me three to four weeks to get injured in Houston. I spoke to a guy in London called Chris Finnell, who's actually ran every London marathon ever has also run across the uh, the country uh, with his friend Steve Pope, obviously me being Rob Pope, and uh, there's a Rosie Swale Pope who's run around the world, so something in the name. And a lot, he of, said, lot of running, a lot of running popes. Exactly, I know. Like so, I don't know who to who get the black smoke from the Vatican if we all went for it. You know, I think Rosie, she's been around the world. Give her the smoke, you know. But um, Chris just said, you know, you're running too fast, and these three to four weeks are instrumental. And then after that. Like I come home from work these days and I'm more tired than I am after, like uh, than I was running 55 miles, you know, sort of in in a hundred degree heat, you know, like sort of um, leapfrogging from fast food venue to fast food venue just so I could get their aircon, you know. Um, but yeah, there was various points in the run where it was more physical and various more mental, you know. But um, towards the end, it was certainly more mental, and um, I. I was never really lonely because I could speak to people on social. I'd meet the wonderful people. And like, you know, I know the audience for this, even though it's worldwide is like um, mostly sort of going to be in the States, but I just want to say a massive thank you. Maybe someone who I, uh, you know, who helped me on the run sort of is listening. Um, and there's absolutely no way I would have got across the States with, without the help of people. And, and I know that, these days like the news that we get is like america's at each other's throats it's red versus blue you know sort of um you know sort of rich versus poor but the massive thing that i got was that whatever your politics whatever your race whatever you're standing the amount of kindness that was there you know sort of was just incredible um and so yeah that that really helped and the main mental struggle I had at the end was knowing that my now heavily pregnant girlfriend wasn't going to be able to be at the finish. And I was on the fifth leg, which I imagined was going to be like a glorious lap of honor, you know, like sort of people high-fiving me and everything like that. But I was injured. I was broke and I was lonely because Nadine wasn't going to be there. And with life, we always have these problems and we try and come up with complex solutions. There's no point normally come up with the simple one because they're the ones that work. And I thought, why am I sad? Nadine's not going to be at the end. What can you do? Make her be there at the end. Well, she can't come out because she can't fly because she's going to give birth. And I said, well, let's stop about maybe 200 miles before the end. Luckily, I got past the distance of 15248. So if US immigration never let me back into the country again, which was a big worry, um, that, you know, sort of at least done forest distance. And uh, we flew back out uh, as, a, as a family of three now to Flagstaff. 
and we were joined by like sort of friends old and new my old school friend from san francisco who ran 150 miles with me in texas and um, sort of people who drove driven from alabama and south carolina to be at the end you know and um, we got the forest finish you know so we're like you know sort of 30 40 people sort of all running behind you know and then obviously nadine and b were there and i got to uh, do the most elaborate marriage proposal of all time so oh epic <laughs> wow yeah. wow now did you say the the words that forrest said before or after the marriage proposal so I got to the exact point. Now, a lot of people who get their photos taken at that point take it at the wrong spot. And um, so I was like cross-referencing satellite pictures to the exact location on the line. And um, we were originally going to film it, like, but like proper. And I had a friend who said, right, let's go out there the night before. We'll get the angles. And I said, absolutely no way. I said, I want to turn around and see those. Like, sort of, uh, right, is it Mesa or Misa? You know, those big tabletop mountains. I should know this. Mesa. Mesa. There we go. Neither Mesa. <laughs> so I want to see those Mesa for the first time when I turn around. And so I did. And I just went, I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home now. And then just walk through the crowd. And then um, obviously somebody in the crowd did the epic line. Now what are we supposed to do? And um, I was in the middle of the crowd at this point, And I said, well, come with me. I'm not finished yet. And everybody looked at me, just said, what, is he going to go to the ocean? So I turned around and sort of, we like sort of jogged over to like the back of like, where like about another 40 or so people were waiting, including the state trooper who was like telling the traffic to slow down. And um, I just thanked Nadine for everything. Got down on one knee, probably really could have stayed there, <laughs> done with not doing that because I struggled to get back up. And uh, she did say yes. So peer pressure was a wonderful thing. Nice. What what a what an epic scene that must have been. And I want to tell you, you mentioned that maybe some of the people who helped you along the way are listening to this episode on the podcast. And I want to guarantee uh, you that uh, the two girls in the Mustang are definitely listening. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we should have been more persistent. <laughs> <laughs> now, so many people um, to get to one place to another, they, they take a plane. Right. If they're going long distance, they're, they're flying from from L.A. to New York. Um, I, I've always said, if you really want to see the country, if you want to learn about the country, you know, drive across the country. I mean, you're going to see things, see aspects of this country you weren't even aware of. Now, I have to believe that running across the country multiple times, you probably learned even more about the U.S. What, what did you learn about the U.S. through this experience? Yeah. Well, sort of uh, to quote the late, great John McCain, always believe in the greatness of America. You know, sort of, there's always hope. No matter, like, so when I thought I was down and out, somebody would come and, like, sort of save my day, whether it was, you know, whether it was just with a smile or whether it was an offer of, like, sort of, you know, some sort of assistance, you know. Um, but, like, obviously I realised it's clearly the most diverse country on earth, like, from landscape to people, you know, sort of, I also found a few things that, um, you know, maybe there's too much fear in this world. Like I was going through uh, South Chicago, East Cleveland. Like I went into East Cleveland and I went to a, like McDonald's. And you know that waste pack I was telling you about before? Well, I actually had it on the back of my stroller. And like, you know, these little sort of things that you do to just say, right, let's just see, you know, let's test ourselves, but let's also test others. And there were a group of homeless guys, like, outside, uh, not with any food or anything like that. And I just said hello to them on the way in. 
And I thought, I'm leaving my waste pack there. So I had my phone in my hand anyway. So I just thought, I'm going to leave everything. So uh, like me, me wallet, everything like was in the back of that. And I thought, didn't look back. And I, when I came out, nothing was touched. Absolutely, just as it was. And I didn't say what I was doing. I just said hello to them on the way. And they didn't like to sort of take a thing, you know. And so it just shows that, you know, this whole, you know, idea that everything, it, you know, of course, some bad things happen, you know, and you have to be careful. But like I went through South Chicago and I saw a, a, a group of guys by a 7-Eleven. And they were typical, you know, sort of like jeans, like damn, at the halfway down the last, you know, and sort of like the bandanas on. And one of them sort of shouted, like, you run, Forrest, run. And so I thought, I'm going to go over and say hello. And I think they were genuinely surprised when I went over. And um, we just chatted for about like sort of uh, 10 minutes. Um, and so um, I said to him, can I, I sort of gain the trust at this point? And I said, is like, is it as bad around here as they make out on the news? He goes, nah, man, we just tell the news crews like that just to keep the real bad people away. And so, and it's, you know, like sort of in the day, you got to realise that these are just people just getting by different circumstances and stuff. But, you know, the main thing people got to do is just talk because I could have seen them. I could have like judged them, stereotyped them, just got my head down and gone on. Those guys just think, look at that arrogant bugger just running through here like so he thinks he's better than us and then that like fosters the divide but like the difference between going through in a car and on foot or you know like even just two wheels because you're still slower then like in a car you might drive through kansas uh on nebraska and go oh my god this is so boring hour after hour after hour of i-40 or whatever like that but then you're on these little back roads and you'll see little things like a like, I remember seeing a little toy giraffe that someone had just uh, glued to one of the, uh, the, you know, the barriers to stop you going off. And somebody had spray painted in really small letters, choose love. Now, I just thought nobody's ever going to see that apart from about 10 people. And I was one of them. And so people say, oh, well, I couldn't run across the country. Uh, you know, and obviously there's, you've got so many like wonderful trails and stuff like that. If somebody wanted to do something that wasn't necessarily like an, an AT segment, um, I would say, like, even do something like, you know, do like California, north to south, do Texas, you know, sort of Beaumont to El Paso. Like, you see almost all of America in sort of that segment, you know. And so it, it, it's become a, like sort of a passion of mine. I'm telling people to do these road trips in America because, you know, sort of, uh, I still think that America is the greatest country on earth, you know, sort of, and I don't want it to start getting its reputation as a, you know, as a nutcase asylum because it just isn't there's bad things happening but there's bad things happening everywhere and if people start to realize that we start focusing on the good less of those bad things will happen well said rob and i've, I've got i've got to let you in on a, a secret i think maybe those homeless guys outside the mcdonald's they they might have uh, considered you one of their own <laughs> it, it happened a couple of times like i remember <laughs> I was outside a gas station um what was i eating a donut probably um and a, and a guy just came out and just went, here you go, buddy. And uh, I, I just thought, because initially my my brain, like I, I'd, I'd gotten used to, originally I was like refusing when people would say, oh, here's 10 bucks. I'd be like, oh no, guys, don't worry about it. And it was I, like, I, I switched when this fella said to me, he goes, I believe the words that you're looking for are thank you. And I was just like, yeah, actually, thanks, mate. You know, and so... um. And after that, I was getting used to people shaking my hands and there being like a $5 or $20 in there, you know, sort of a, a guy sort of a, in a karaoke bar gave me a hundred bucks after doing Back in Black. 
And um, and like sort of he he took me to the toilets. He said, "Come with me, big guy." And I just thought, "Oh my God, what's going to happen here?" Because he told me it was his favourite song and not to mess it up. And um, when I sort of uh, went through, he uh, got his wallet out and uh, just pulled out a note. And obviously, I was polite, so I didn't go, "What is it?" But I could, as he just gave it to me, I just saw it had a hundred, and I just said, "Oh mate, I can't take that. I can't take that." And he went. Don't worry, I'm good for it, you know. And I just thought, oh my god, you know. And um, yeah, so these, these just, you know, the unexpected sort of rewards you'd find in the strangest of places. And by the way, no, I'm not going to sing "Back in Black" for you. Oh, that's gonna be my next question. I wanted to hear the <laughs> Rob Pope rendition of "Back in Black." <laughs> One day. Well, One you, day. You can actually next. Get to see me on, on my YouTube channel. There's not much on it. But you get to see me lip syncing to a number of uh, like sort of like rockets. And there is Highway to Hell on there. I was actually in the fog in Death Valley heading towards where it was snowing, uh, singing Highway to Hell. Awesome. Incredible. I'll have to check that out. Now, um, I know that you you have some causes uh, or maybe some charities that you like to represent. And, and uh, were you promoting those on the Gump Run? Well, the main reason why I continued past Santa Monica, uh, because obviously my goal was not to come out of it without a house deposit, you know, sort of uh, from that, I was just like, no, we're going to keep going. We'll just keep spending the money until we've got no money left because um, I was running for two causes. Now, when Forrest runs across the Mississippi for the fourth time, and he gets pursued by those reporters. They say, are you running for women's rights, the homeless, the environment, world peace or animals? And of course, he replies, I just felt like running. And so um, I decided to run for those five things. And uh, I chose the World Wild Fund for Nature, which covers the environment and animals, and a charity called Peace Direct, which tries to stop conflict before it, um, before it kicks off, because we all know that our governments aren't very good at this. Uh, and so they'll do on a lot smaller scale by like, sort of women, women's empowerment, providing homes for child soldiers, you know, so there's your women's rights and homelessness like covered. And then uh, obviously world peace would be lovely. So I was never going to stop until I either physically, I, I had like $10 that was, I kept in my phone case. And that was just designed basically to like flag someone down and say, Hey mate, can you give me $10 to get to the nearest, like, you know, town and stuff. And I would get somebody to, put me up and then just get a greyhound and a plane home and so as long as i didn't spend that ten dollars i was going to stay on the road um or physically broken you know there were a couple of times like when i tore my quads in um in tennessee or i had like really really bad piriformis syndrome in alabama that it got really close to going home but i always managed to pull through and um i would use those two charities as a major totem but the actual singular point you know, I said at the start, I was a mama's boy, you know, brought by my mum. Well, sort of uh, my mum, again, like Forrest, didn't make it to the end of the movie. Uh, it's actually uh, 20 years this year since she passed away. And um, she um, basically um, said to me, like, in her like, last sort of few months, just do one thing in your life that makes a difference. And didn't say anything, you know, it was part of a conversation. It wasn't an Admiral Nelson moment, you know, with a dying breath, but uh, she didn't specify anything. She said, just do one thing in your life that makes a difference. And so 
I sort of thought I was probably going to be through my work, but then even though like I might be making a difference to individual people, you know, so I wasn't going to sort of, you know, like, you know, cure a, a major disease or anything. And so it was only when this run fell into place and the Dean said, you know, this job's not working out for you. This is the time to do the run. This is now we go, you know, and it's just like, right. Okay. And, um, and then of course it was doubly nailed in when I found out the other chap was doing it because I thought, well, if I don't do it this year, sort of someone else is going to. Um, and so on we went and, you know, I, I would often think about my mum when I was doing it, just thinking, oh, my God, she would have so been in the support crew. She would have done my head in. You know, like, I don't know if that's an American phrase, but, like, she literally would have been, like, drove me mad, I imagine. Uh, but, you know, your mums drive you mad while, while they're with you, and then you really wish they were driving you mad when they're not, you know. So um, um, I was made up. I did it for her. That was, that, was, that was great. That's an incredible story. And, Rob, you sound like a very lucky guy. Uh, with very supportive women in your life. Uh, obviously your mom and her guidance to you, that's, that's epic. And Nadine, she sounds like a keeper. Yeah, she absolutely is, man. <laughs> well, like, the, the fun thing is, is that, you know, going back to that Idaho story, um, that was, we'd only found out, we found out that Nadine was pregnant in Fergus Falls in Minnesota. And so we, we got across the north um, and moments after my like sort of uh, like brush with moose related death, I had this um, song stick in my uh, head, Sunshine on Leith. And I listened to it over and over and over again. And I went back and I said to Nadine, have you ever heard this song? And she went, yeah, why? And she just goes, well, because if um, if we have a boy, I'm going to call him Leith. And I was just like, that is so weird. And um I said, well, what are we going to call her if she's a girl? And she went, B. And I was just like, oh, okay. Uh, so not B as in Beatrice, B-E-E, -E, as in the stinging one. And then in this, another completing the circle of serendipity, when I was talking to those guys in South Chicago, the main joker of the group, huge guy, was wearing a Muhammad Ali shirt, and his name was B. And so it was a whole, you know, float like a butterfly and so yeah swarms of bees <laughs> synchronicity is real we're all we're all interrelated it's all interconnected yeah. it's, it's amazing sting got it right <laughs> yep all right hey what uh, what's next for rob what's next for the donut king what's the next adventure i think you got something coming up yeah well sort of um there's always ideas like sort of um sort of once i, I was hoping to do some like sort of a uh, winter running but um i have well, a few weeks ago, I twisted my knee getting out of the car, and I had that's, an adventure. That's not a very that's not a very good story, Rob. Yeah, you need, you know, need that's to, that's to, to put some excitement into that story. Yeah, well, after today, I need to build up these guns. You know, they're not very big. Um, but I recently became the first person to. Well, this was two weeks after I twisted my knee. Um, recently became the first person to run across Ireland in a day. Um, and so I went to Galway, I had a pint of Guinness at half past 10 at night, and I got to Dublin at uh, 10 past 10 the following day. And so uh, in time for the Edge's birthday, so I called the run Edge to Edge. Nice, nice. And do you have a book coming out? Well, yeah, like so the, the actual hardback is out now. Okay. Uh, in the state and so uh, that was released in march of this year it's called becoming forest 
you'd think I'd be surrounded by copies of it, but uh, I'm not. <laughs> but it is, a, yeah, an excellent book. I, I might have a, a... Oh, no, I haven't got it. Most people are going to be listening to this anyway, you know, so, but it's called Becoming Forest. It's got a picture of me in my full Chewbacca beard state. Um, and the paperback is going to come out in the States, I believe, on March the 3rd. And so my plan, if I can make it out there, then is that point where I um, stopped in the desert, sort of in Utah, is I'm hoping to come out and basically do what was next. You see Forrest go through the crowd and then nobody knows where he went after that. Um, you've also seen that I'm probably a little bit obsessive over the details on this kind of thing. No, so no. I, I, <laughs> obsessive? That's a little strong. Yeah, I've gone down to 44 on the insanity scale now over the course of the podcast. <laughs> You've lost there. some points. Yeah. Um, and so I worked out the the total. It was 4.77 geographic times across America. Uh, Distance-wise, it's over five. So, you know, I'll always be able if, – if my leg falls off, I'll be able to say five, but geographically 4.77. So I would like to run from uh, Kayenta – through to probably, I, I think it'd be a fitting point to have it in Santa Monica and have a big sort of Bubba Gump jambalaya and um, what, what, one of their beers in the novelty cups and uh, draw a line under the whole shebang and then run across Australia. <laughs> nice. Well, when you get to Santa Monica, you have to let me know so I can go down there and, and bring a box of donuts and some beer. Absolutely. Not, not a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Oh, oh, there you go. Staying in <laughs> character. Very good. All right. Hey, uh, Donut King, you know where we are? Uh, oh, that time? That time. The pro tip insight of the week. That's right. So, Rob, what do you have for our listeners? What, what bit of uh, outdoor adventure wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? Well, whenever we go through something long like this, we've always established that there's going to be hitches along the way. And for most of us, that usually ends up in some sort of painful experience. Now, one I am scared of injury. Like at the moment, I'm not sure if I'm being overly protective over mine. But the best bit of advice that was ever given to me when I was struggling in Houston, because I had tendonitis and my shin was creaking and my physio said to me, the creak is going to be there for a long time. Ignore it. It's irrelevant. Be guided by your pain. So if your pain is no more than a three out of 10 and isn't steadily increasing, you can carry on doing what you're doing. If your injury is something to worry about and is progressing, it will go from a three to a four to a five or just take big leaps. You know, So if you go in there and you're saying, no, I can't do this because my knee still hurts, it's going to hurt because you've not done anything to your knee for a while and you're coming back after a four week layoff or something like that, you know, so make sure you don't go beyond your limits and you'll be fine. Fantastic. That is some great advice. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with the donut King. Uh, I want to thank him <laughs> for joining us this week, Rob, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? So on social, I am Run Roblar Run. So it's like Run Forest Run, and Roblar is R O B L A. So almost Run Rob L A Run. Yeah. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. No, no TikTok for Rob. Well, I am gonna do it if I do that run from uh, 
from Kayenta to Santa Monica and stuff. And obviously, if anybody wants to check out the podcast after they listen to yours, it's called How to Be Superhuman, and, and there's there's some cool stuff on it. And don't give me any credit for the technical uh, wizardry in it. It's nothing to do with me. I'm just <laughs> I'm just here for like sort of banter. <laughs> nice. And if you have comments or clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at johnfreakamere at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Rob, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, movie, documentary, some type of uh, outdoor uh, adventure media. Uh, we're calling this our Adventure Media Recommendation. Um, what, do you, what do you have for us? I would definitely uh, go back to Gabe Cordell's role with it because that does sort of, you know, it's a sort of, uh, you know, sort of, experience that makes you think no matter where you're starting from you can achieve something wonderful okay outstanding and my book what have we not asked you and rob's book of course and that was half calf with her increasingly bizarre uh, attempt at sounding british um this is a segment this is a segment called what what have i not asked you that you're dying to tell us about wow okay this is a tricky one. Um, this is your opportunity to share anything. Right. I'm just the three best donut shops in um, in in the US. Okay. So number three, Voodoo Donuts, Portland, Oregon. Number two, Sweetwater Donut Mill in Michigan. I believe there's more than one outlet. And number one. Ralph's Donuts in Cookville, Tennessee. Wow, that those are highly specific. Those are not chains. Uh, it doesn't sound like they're chains. Um, so we'll have to, we'll have to get out there and check those out. we got about three, so. Okay. Well, that is a wrap from the John Freaking Mirror Studio. Any shout-outs to friends and family, Rob? Just the whole running community, you are something special. So just make sure whenever you go past a runner or a walker or a hiker or even a cyclist, even though they don't really like us, just wave and say hi. Nice. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've had to fight off a pack of stray dogs with your stroller and a tiger tail. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.